Mom Training Podcast with Diana Ballard. Hey ladies, welcome to the Mom Training Podcast. Today we are going to talk to Linda. She is amazing with her meal times. Now, when I talked to Linda, when I interviewed her about being on this podcast, I was like, this is such a cool topic to be able to enjoy dinner time more, to be able to have fun at dinner time, to get past the, the, the regular conversations that kind of get boring every once in a while, right? Like we're like, oh, we're supposed to ask how your day was and how was school and how was work, right? But how can we actually have fun at dinner time? So Linda, welcome to the podcast today. So excited to have you on here. Please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your story. Oh, thanks so much for the warm welcome. So my name is Linda Letterman and I'm a kitchen confidence coach. I own a business called Balabusta Secret. And the best way for me to tell you about myself is to explain to you what a Balabusta is and how I got here. So when I was in high school, I had a mother, who was the worst cook on the planet. And I'm not a shy person. And one day I said to her, mom, your food is just beyond horrendous. And she said, okay, big smart ass, um, you're gonna cook. Now, trust me, I had no idea what to cook. So she bought me the joy of cooking. And she said, once a week, you're gonna pick out a recipe, give me the ingredients, I'll get them. You're gonna be in charge of cooking. Well, wow, this was my opportunity to shine. Well, little did I know that you need a little bit of skill and a little bit of knowledge to shine, and I had none. But I felt a lot of pressure to do something that was out of the ordinary because my whole big beef was she made the same thing every week and it was very monotonous. So the first time I was cooking, I cooked Swedish meatballs. Now, I'll tell you the truth, I have no Swedish relatives. I've never been to a Swedish restaurant. I had no idea what to expect, what to do. And the cookbook she bought me had no pictures. So I was up a river without a paddle, let alone a canoe or a rowboat. So I tried to do the best I could, and it came out horrific. And my family, they were pretty mean, but they were saying, okay, it's your first time out of the gate. Maybe you'll do better next week. All right. So the next week I decided to do Ville Cordon Bleu. Now I can't even pronounce it to this day. So you can imagine how bad it was when I tried to do it many, many years ago. Again, same book, no pictures. Meal, horrific. By the time I made my third meal, my family said, you're done. <laughs> you're banned from cooking. And I started my cooking career being banned from the kitchen. So I'm not one to take defeat. Um, I looked at it more of, okay, game on. I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna learn how to cook. And among the many things I have done with my careers, I'm a lawyer by profession, but one of the most things I'm proud of is I told myself how to cook. And I taught myself how to cook really well. I went to cooking schools. I took countless programs with um, the International, International Culinary Institute, the National Gourmet Institute. I have over a thousand cookbooks, none of which I follow to a T because the goal I think is to get to the point where you know what ingredients you need to have, you know how to use them and yeah. recipes become inspiration. But it took me a while to get there and I did that. So now here I am, this really, I'm being uh, overly silly, but this really great cook. And um, I started having kids and my kids would have their friends come over for dinner and sleepovers. And we'd be having dinner and my kids' friends would say, 
holy cow, my mom doesn't cook like this. She doesn't make meals like this. And we don't play games at the table. We barely have conversation at the table. Can you teach my mom how to do that? So that's where the idea of a balabusta was born. And a balabusta is a Yiddish term that means a woman who makes a fine home. Now, it's not a fine home like Martha Stewart, where everything is pristine and you don't want to touch anything. And, you know, the food's going to be really good, but you kind of like are scared to move around, you know, because everything is just so nice. So my fine home is the kind of home where your kids want to hang out, your kids' friends want to hang out, your friends want to hang out, your family wants to hang out. And as a parent, that's a really fabulous thing to want because you want to have that comfort level where everybody wants to be around you. Number one, it gets you to know your kids' friends a little better and should they have any issues that they may be uncomfortable going to their parents with, they know that you're the safe haven to go to. Really, really important as a parent to have that kind of home atmosphere. Plus you get so much more fun out of life. If your friends and your family and your kids and your kids' friends are like, Yahoo, let's go to Linda's house. Um, it's a great feeling. And when you can hear that warmth and feel, hear the laughter and feel the warmth in your house, why wouldn't you want to do that? So that's where Balabusta was born. I love that. Now that kind of sparks a thought for me. Like when you were starting to create this, did you have the goal in mind of wanting to create that type of environment? Like with friends wanting to come over and it being a warm environment or did it like just turn into that? Like how did that mold into that result, I guess? To me, it's um, one and the same. You know, I grew up with, with parents who liked to entertain. Like I said, my mother was a terrible cook. My father was a tremendous barbecuer. And what they didn't know how to cook, they brought in. Um, I'm not one to bring in a whole lot of stuff, but the feelings that I had growing up with the, all the friends and the family being in the house, that's something that I think is really important. And the studies show that kids who have a sit-down family meal, and it doesn't have to be every night because we all live in the real world and we know our schedules take us a million different places at a million different times. But if you can schedule a fair amount of family sit-down meals, the studies show that your kids do better in school, they have better social skills, they have better communication schools, they're less likely to abuse illegal substances, and you have fun. Well, why wouldn't you want to do that for your house? So to me, it's really a big package. And the other part of it, why it's a package is, if you don't learn how to make easy, delicious food fast so you can feed your family and have fun, and your kids don't have that experience, then they can't pass that on to their family. And all you're doing is creating generation after generation of families who are eating fast food, takeout, and unhealthy food. So the flip side is you want to be a model of all those great things, and you want to teach their kids how wonderful that feeling is, so they're going to want to pass it down to their families as well. Why do you think it is that sitting down to the dinner table is so important? Well, it's a time for everybody to let their masks off. You know, we're doing so many things during the day that you have to behave well in school and look smart and yet fun for your peers. Or you have to have a certain personality when you're at work, or even if you're doing volunteer work or, or just maintaining your home. 
you're, that's one side of your personality. And because we're rushing all the time and we're being pulled in so many different, different directions, you don't really have the time to take a deep breath and get to know yourself again and get to know your family. But at dinner time, there's no reason to have any of that pretense. And so if you can do things that makes everybody relax and makes everybody wanna be at the table and share their true selves because they know it's gonna be a judgment-free zone and they're gonna to wanna to be there and have fun or they'll know that it's a safe place to talk about issues that they have, but it's up to you um, to create that warm and loving environment for them. Yeah, and on a previous episode, actually, we just talked about how when we're doing something else with our hands, like being preoccupied with something, that's actually a great time to have conversation because, you know, there, we're doing something. So it actually like takes the pressure off, like you're saying, so that people can actually communicate what their needs are, what they, what brings them joy and be able to actually enjoy conversation with each other. So you know, I love I'm that. I'm going to apply that to mealtime. Because in mealtime, you know, I work with a lot of parents who tell me they call their kids picky eaters. I try to avoid that term because if a kid hears you calling them a picky picky eater, it kind of gives them license to be one, (laughs) you know, and then they take that label and they apply it more often than not. And then you become miserable over the whole process. So let's just say you had selective eaters or people who are developing their palates. So if you have those kinds of people at your table, but you're engaging in conversation and games and laughter, you're now distracting them. And so the whole thing is not a battle of, are you gonna eat this? I'm not gonna eat this, I hate this. I used to like it, but now I'll never eat it again because you're talking about something else. And it's like divide and distract. And if you are engaging at the table, your family's gonna wanna be there. And that leaves very little room for confrontation about the food you're serving. Oh yeah, totally. Okay. So what are some of these games that you play with your family? Sure. Well, you know, games depend to some extent on the age of your kids. Okay. So I can, uh, and I will preface this by saying I have a 16 year old and a 19 year old and we still play games. And fairly recently, my 19 year old came home from college with his girlfriend and she was coming home for dinner. And I said to her, you know, did Max tell you we play games at the dinner table? And she said, yes. And I said, did he tell you that we expect you to play games with us at the dinner table? And she said, yes. So we pulled out one of our handy dandy games that we have a a slew of and we played and it was lovely because it made his girlfriend feel comfortable. We weren't sitting there going, what are you majoring in school? What do you want to do for a job? Do you have an internship yet? And all those questions that sure you want to know the answers to, but you don't want to be the drill sergeant about it. So instead we were playing a game and you can learn a lot about a person by the answers they give and the way they react when you're playing. And it made her feel comfortable and us feel comfortable. And by the time the meal was done and my son said, okay, let's go up. His girlfriend said, well, can we play a little more first? Well, that's exactly what you want to happen. And like I said, it can be done at any age. And as my kids were growing up, it was never a rush to 
down their meals so they could go up to their room and work on their electronics or whatever they had to do. It was always, well, no, dinner time's fun. You know, we don't have to run away from the table as soon as we finish eating. And that's, that's an amazing experience to have with your family. So in terms of games, I'll start with really little kids. I don't know how old most of the people you have, the kids in the audience are. So these are games that you can play when they're really little, but you can also play with them no matter what age they are. So the first game is called Headbands. Now you can buy it as a boxed game or you can save yourself the 20 bucks and make your own cards. And what you do is you can either take an index card, you can, if you still have magazines in this day and age, cut out a picture from a magazine and the person who's it without looking at what that picture is or what that card shows a picture of, puts it on their forehead. So let's say the example is it was a picture of an apple. So they're holding the, picture, the card up on their forehead. They don't know what it is, but everybody at the table does. And it's a 20 questions kind of game. And they have to guess what the picture is of. So, you know, they'll say, is it bigger than a house? Do I own one? Do we all own one? What color is it? Blah, 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 blah. It's a great way for little kids to start learning how to think. It's a great way for deductive reasoning. It's fantastically funny for everybody at the table who knows what the picture is and realizes how far off the questions are or how close they are and how that person still can't get it. And you know, when you have really, really young kids, you can elaborate your answers a little bit. You know, as they get older, they should just be yes or no answers. Um, but it's a great fun, a great, great fun game to do. Takes very little skill, very little knowledge on anybody's part, and you can always do it. So that would be a great game for little, little kids. Another great game for little kids is around Robin story. And the way that works is some person starts the story and I'll give you an example. Once upon a time, there was a camel and a frog, you know, and you maybe say three sentences and then the next person adds to the story and they can take the story in any direction they want. And odds are, it's not gonna be the way you were thinking the story was gonna go. And they say a couple of lines and then the next person builds on it and builds on it until you say, Okay, that's the end of the story. It's a great, great way for you to see what your kids think about. And if you really pay attention, maybe it's something that they learned from their friends that was either good or bad. Um, maybe something that they learned in school, you know, rears its little head through the descriptions. But again, you're learning about your family on a totally different level where everybody's having fun and nobody's getting grilled. So those are great little, and you know, you can play that game in the car also on long car trips. You know, I'm not one for putting TV screens up in a car. I think that's a waste of valuable communication time with your family. So you can do round robin stories also in the car. It's really, really easy. If your kids are a little older and you have Mad Lib games, play Mad Libs at the table and you can decide how bawdy or not the words that they can use when they're filling in the blanks. And if they don't remember what a noun is, you can say a person, place, or thing. If they don't know what an adjective is, you can say, just give me a descriptive word. And then you fill out the Mad Libs and you read them. Always a classic thing to play um, in the car or at the table and you're having fun. You know, and you can make, you can buy Mad Libs of any topic. You know, there's a million of them all over the place. So get ones that might be relating, that your kids might be able to relate to. Another thing that I like to do is tie my conversation to events. Now there's a really silly event every day of the year. And when I work with people, um, 
I'll give them a calendar for a week or two with the event. I'll give them ideas of what food to make to go with that event. And then I'll give them conversation pieces to work around it. So I'll give you two examples. So at the beginning of September, there's a holiday called Chicken Boy Day. <laughs> that doesn't sound like something anybody on the planet would know what it is. <laughs> but there used to be an advertising agency in California. And on top of their building, they had this huge statue, the body of which was a man. And the top was this huge chicken head. And they called it Chicken Boy. A huge eyesore. I mean, it was just horrendous, as you can imagine. And one day, the company decided they were moving. And whoever bought the building said, well, we got to get this statue down because this is just disgusting. And the town rallied and said, no, that's our statue. And they paid to take it down and put it in the park. And they declared, I think it's September 5th, is, is Chicken Boy Day. <laughs> so come September 5th, I'll tell people about Chicken Boy Day. I'll give them a couple of chicken recipes. And then I'll give them conversation ideas. And you can do things, again, depending on the age of your kids. If you were half boy or girl and half another animal, what would you be? Why would you be it? What special things could you do this way? You could also change it another way. Your conversation could be things like, well, what's one toy that you have now or had when you were little that you've always wanted to hold on to and you could never give up and why? And what kind of toy would you want to pass on to your kids that you have now? So you can take the conversation in so many different directions um, from this one silly little holiday. Another example is April is National Poetry Month. Well, you can imagine how my family <laughs> reacted when I said, oh, it's National Poetry Month. The groans you could have heard across the country. And I said, well, again, that doesn't deter me. I said, I want everybody to come down to dinner with a poem. What are you talking about, Ma, a poem? And I said, yeah, your definition of a poem doesn't have to be limited. You know, a rap song could be a poem. A TV jingle could be a poem. Lyrics to another kind of song is a poem. The poem is your, you decide what kind of poem you want. You could write a poem for all I care or recite one that you really like or one that you really hate. And my family knows at this point, if I ask them to do something, they're better off doing it than not. And they're gonna have some kind of fun. So that night at dinner, my son came down with a poem called, I Hate Poetry. And he proceeded to read this I Hate Poetry poem. My daughter did a little ad jingle and a nursery rhyme, which was perfectly fine. And my husband wrote a rap song, the worst rap song you could ever possibly imagine. And he was so proud of it. And truthfully, we were falling off of our chairs because he was singing it and it was horrible and it was a riot. And to this day, when people come over, he'll say, hey, did you know I wrote a rap song? Do you want to hear it? And we're going, no, um, but it's great. So I teach my clients, there's a, and this is just the tip of the iceberg of things you can do. Um, but I teach my client the importance of having that wonderful time at the table, which creates memories and memories of keeps what memories are what keeps you going in good times and even more so in bad times. And if it's so easy to do them, why wouldn't you want to do that for you and your family? Yeah, no, for sure. Now I, I have to ask you, you have so much fun at the table, which means that you have to be somewhat organized in what you're doing because being busy all the time, sometimes, I mean, at least for me, sometimes fun gets thrown out when I'm like, I got to finish all these different things. So 
what tips do you have for getting food on the table on a busy weeknight? Because you're, you're, I would probably say a professional cook by taking all of your classes and gourmet things. And so I have a problem personally where I like to make gourmet things all the time because it's so fun for me, but then it takes up so much time. So I'm just wondering, how do you get food on the table while staying happy, while having enough time and then being able to have fun with your family? That's what I want to learn. (laughs) Absolutely. So there's there's a whole bunch of ways to do it. One is you can work with me and I'll give you the calendars and the ideas. Um, And that's really a simple way to do that. Um, Another thing, you know, if you have a little bit of time, you can look up what the silly holidays are and build something around it. I will tell you that on my kitchen counter, I'm looking at it now, and I have a stack of cards and games that we can play on a whim. You don't have to make up something. We have a game Oh, they probably got it when they were like three or five, but we still play it called Freeze Brain. And it's a little machine. It's got batteries in it. And you press a button and it'll say, name and let name on, and it'll fill in the blank, an animal, a flower, a song, whatever the, the noun is that starts with the letter and they'll pick a letter of the alphabet. It's always random. And then it goes tick, 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 tick. And you've got to come up with an answer really fast. And you, you hit the, the slot to stop the timer. And the idea is to not let all your time run out. So this one, you're not even thinking. You're just putting the game on the table. um, And it doesn't get in your way of eating because it's small. And you can designate somebody as the person to hit the the flap. And it just goes around the room. Everybody gets a turn. They get another letter, another topic. um, And it's really funny because your brain does freeze, <laughs> you know? And if, you know, you could have a, a question as easy as name an animal that starts with the letter C and for the life of you, you can't even think of cat, um, you know, and everybody else is guffawing at the table because it's such an obvious answer and you can't come up with anything. Um, so you could have games, physical games that you can play that aren't in the way of eating because you don't want to be messy. You don't want to physically ruin games. You can also take cards from games. If you play Trivia Pursuit or any, we have a game called Smart Ass that's got questions, um, all kinds of games. Don't play the board game, but use the questions. So again, you're not having to think, you're exhausted. You just made this wonderful meal, um, but you want to have fun. Take out the question cards, really easy. You can also make a gratitude jar. And, you know, take a couple of minutes, make 30 things, questions, uh, cut up the paper, put them in the jar, and every night pull out one. And that gives you something to talk about. You can make a meal around current events. You know, if your kids are a little older, it's a great way to learn about what's going on in the world. Again, you don't have to think about because the world is happening around you all the time. And odds are you have a, a clue of what's happening. And then you can educate your kids, get their opinions. They may think very differently about a topic that you feel very strongly about. So you can say, hey, guys, have have you heard about this is going on the news? Let me explain what I know. What do you know about it? You know, so that's really good. Another thing you can do if your kids are a little older, play a... The judge and the jury, um, my, my folks used to do this. They pick something, it could be in the news or a controversial topic. And one of the grownups is the judge, although you can rotate who's gonna be the judge. And you pick a topic and you have the other people at your table debate it. And somebody could object and somebody could be the judge and, but your honor, and you can get really, really heated about it. And it's fun, it's educational, it's totally distracting. Um, and again, you're not, um, 
doing anything other than enjoying the conversation as well. So there's, there's a million things you can do. You just need to be prepared a little bit. Okay. Yeah. So then also with that, you make your meals semi-simple too. Like um, I actually, um, I make it simple. I don't, I wouldn't use the word. Um, I make a tremendously flavorful food, mm. but I know shortcuts on how to cook it quicker or smarter. I, I never serve simple food because that to me would be incredibly boring. And I like my food to have some depth of flavor and really interesting. So simple food is not my thing, but I can tell you how to cook simply to make it really flavorful and delicious. There it is right there. My husband actually recently asked me if I would, <laughs> if I would stop cooking so gourmet for my children because their taste buds are going to be so accustomed to yummy food that either they're going to have to learn how to make it or go out to eat a lot. And I was like, well, I'm going to teach them how to make it. <laughs> Absolutely, how to make it. But, but the flip side of that is um, when you make them really, really good food and then you go out to eat and you're spending some really good money on it and your kids say, oh my, you make this better. <laughs> and then it's like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Okay. So so your, your point of view is that having the games, having a fun time as a family makes it so there's bonding. You get past the communication of the, the boring stuff about asking the same questions every, every time. Um, do you feel like your kids are probably going to transfer on this, this tradition to their own families in the future? A hundred percent because they know that's what they know. Their frame of reference is a meal should be enjoyable. A meal should be fun. You know, a meal should be sometimes when you communicate. So if that's what they know, that's really at the core of part of their being. Yeah. Well, and laughter is so important to have with anyone that you're in a relationship with. And so I think it's a wonderful thing that you bring in fun and joy and laughter and just enjoyment as people together as a family unit at dinner time, whether that be, you know, the couple times a week or every single night or whatever it is. I think it's really important. I think you have a really good, uh, you know, system in place here to help bring your family together to really create that, that feeling that most people really do want in their home. And it's just as simple as playing games at mealtime. And right. I love that. You know, and know the right games, know the wrong games. You know, you're still communicating. You know, my, my daughter said to me the other day, mom, you never have to ask me what was the interesting thing that happened in school today. And I said, why is that? And she said, because if something interesting happened, I'm going to tell you about it, <laughs> you know? That's true. Um, and, you know, you, you kind of want that communication level with your kids. Yeah, that's awesome. So what about families that have never done this before and are kind of like, I have no idea where to get started? Okay, you've given some game ideas, you've given some reasons why, but if someone was coming to you and was like, so what's my first step? What would you say to them? I would say, let's start with the meal. Let's start with something that you're comfortable with, that you either know how to make or you want to improve it with some easy steps. 
Let's get you in a routine where you can um, make a handful of meals during the week where you feel you're not cooking from scratch every day. So you're not resenting mealtime. A lot of it starts with your own mindset. And if you go into dinner time thinking, oh my God, I got to make another dinner. This is just, I've had it, <laughs> you know? I like to start with the, the, the tips and the tricks of getting the meal on the table, whether that's knowing the pantry supplies you should have or the refrigerator things, staples and your freezer staples, and then knowing how to use them. And then knowing how to make a handful of recipes easy. And then knowing how to batch cook some of that food. And batch cooking means you're not cooking from scratch every night, but you're making purposeful leftovers that you can repurpose for another night of the week. And I say repurpose because a lot of families have kids who don't like leftovers. And if you're making leftovers to save yourself some time and the night you serve that leftover, kids say, I just had that, I'm sick of it. You've defeated the purpose. So I teach you how to, to batch cook with repurposing your recipes. So you're saving time in the kitchen, but you're making something different that everybody's gonna like. And when you have some of those fundamental skills down, you're no longer dreading dinner time. You kind of have an idea where you're gonna be going. So that takes off some of the pressure. And now you can focus on, well, when I sit at the table, what can we do? And that's where my other parts of the things that I teach people comes in. But you gotta start at the beginning. Yeah, you know, if, if you're working too hard to make a dinner that nobody likes, it doesn't matter what you want to play because you're already going to the table defeated. Yeah, for sure. Wow, that was a great tip. Thank you. Uh, where can people find you? I know sure. that you have you have your website, which is such a fun website. You guys, you should definitely go check it out. I love your website is beautiful and really fun. Um, so yeah, tell them where they can find you. Okay. So if you post the link to the website, um, with the podcast, I also have a Facebook group called easy weeknight dinners for busy moms. And I will tell you, I just did a, a Facebook live in there today on how to make sheet pan dinners and sheet pan dinners are really fast, super duper easy to clean up, really delicious. And it was a really basic lesson. So if you join my easy weeknight dinners for busy moms group and it's free, you can, the replay is already posted. So that's a really good way to, to start to get to know me. I have a, um, a freebie for your audience called quick dinner time sanity saving tips. And if you post the link for that and people sign up for it, they'll get a list of your pantry staple, your fridge staples, your freezer staples, some meal planning tips, some prep tips, some ideas for conversations. And most importantly, it will put you on my mailing list so that you know how to get in touch with me. I will be getting in touch with you. You'll be getting my weekly newsletters of all my brilliance. <laughs> <laughs> my ideas, whatever programs I have. You'll learn how to do one-on-one -on -one coaching with me. You'll learn how to do a group program with me if you're interested in that. So click on the links that will be with the podcast. And um, I'd love to invite you into my kitchen. Ah, thank you so much. Yeah, ladies, all of that information are in the notes right now that you can check out. And I'd highly recommend connecting with Linda and all of her platforms and getting on her newsletter list because this is just great information. I think it's a wonderful time for us as moms to really connect with our family and to be able to enjoy ourselves and to be able to have a moment of maybe stillness and enjoyment uh, with our family as we have fun together. So Linda, thank you for sharing your tips and tricks and your wonderful ideas about 
family mealtime and how to make that more enjoyable. Oh, I, I really appreciate you giving me the time. And I, I'd like to leave your, your listeners with this advice. It doesn't take a lot of effort to make ordinary meals into extraordinary times. Mm -hmm. And you can do it with ease, speed, yum, and fun. And once you know the tricks, you're never going to want to go back because it enriches your lives and your family's lives. So happy cooking to everybody. And I'm happy to help you uh, get on that journey. Thank you so much, Linda. And ladies, I hope you've been enriched by this and uh, are able to change something in your own life to be better in your home at mealtime and enjoy yourself as well. And we'll see you next Tuesday on the Mom Training Podcast.